Good morning, and welcome to the Curious Hope Podcast. I want to start off today by asking a question. Have you ever doubted God before? Or maybe you're still doubting God. Any of you who have pets at home, any of you who have dogs, uh, are familiar with this experience. Uh, we have a puppy. He's, I, I don't know if I can, he's still a puppy, but he's getting big. So he's, at this point, he's like 58 pounds. Uh, he's a Bernese Mountain Dog. And what my wife and I like to do, he loves, loves, loves attention. And so we, you know, call him and he comes over wagging his tail. He'll come every time you call his name just because he wants to be pet. Uh, but there's, there was this moment where we were like, you know, who's, who's he going to listen to more? My wife and I, we got into a, you know, silly argument, like who, who does he listen to more? And so she stood at one side of the room and I stood at the other side of the room. And then at the same time, we both called out his name. We both said, Bo, come here. Um, and it was, (laughs) it was sort of sad to see in this cute little puppy dog's eyes, he looked at me and would start coming to me, and then he would turn around and he would start going towards Megan. And the, the indecision, uh, you know, he, he didn't know which person to go to because he loves both of us. Um, at least that's what we like to think if animals can love. Uh, today, uh, on this topic of doubt, on this topic of indecision, we're gonna look at a story uh, that I think causes a lot of hope and that Personally, I think for, for a lot of us that are listening today, it's going to really change our conception uh, of the way that we view doubt and the way that we look at how the Bible talks about doubt. So there's a, the story where Jesus, and I'm trying to just pull as many Jesus stories as I can because when I think of stories of hope in the Bible, almost all of them have to do with Jesus. So Jesus had just, uh, where we are, we're, we're in Matthew 14. So Jesus had just finished performing this miracle uh, where he feeds 5,000 people. So he multiplies all this bread and fishes, and he feeds a bunch of people. And then we're told what happens next is he has his disciples. So these are the guys that are following him around, and he sends them off in a boat uh, onto the lake. And then what Jesus does uh, is he goes up onto a mountain to pray. Uh, and this is a whole nother, I'll, I'll probably talk about this eventually on the podcast, is <laughs> Jesus's prayer life. Uh, because if you read the Gospels, you see just how much he finds ways to be alone with his father. But anyways, uh, so Jesus, he sends his disciples off in a boat, and then he goes off to pray. But what ends up happening is it's nighttime, and then the waves start to crash in. Um, we're told that the boat was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, and that the, uh, beaten by the wind, and that the waves were against no beaten by the, <laughs> beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them, and so. What ends up happening, it's the middle of the night, and in the fourth watch of the night, and so this is, the fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So you have to imagine, first off, let's put ourselves in the shoes of these disciples. So Jesus had just done this cool miracle, but then he goes off on his own and he sends you off in a boat. Uh, You're up probably most of the night, uh, battling this wind, battling the waves, trying to get your boat back to land. And so they are probably exhausted. And then what happens is in that fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m., they see a figure walking on the sea towards him. Uh, When they see this figure, they say, oh, it's a ghost. You know, they're super fearful. They're super afraid. They think it's a ghost that's coming out to, to haunt them or destroy their boat or something. But it's Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. He says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter. So Peter is sort of like the head disciple. He's the oldest of the disciples. Uh, 
He, Peter answers him. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Because Jesus, he's walking on, this is another miracle. Jesus is on the water. So Peter says, well, if it's you, command me to come out to you. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And so Jesus, looking at Peter, he says, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And for those of you that are close to me, you know my testimony. This, this verse um, and this passage and passages like this gave me a lot of anxiety on my walk with God. Because as I shared at the beginning of this podcast, I doubt a lot. And what I mean, and I still do. And what I mean by doubt is I ask a lot of questions. I'm not sure of certain things. I'm not sure if the Bible says this or if this is what's right to do, if this is what's right to believe, if God is this way or that way. Uh, when, you know, trying to reconcile life experiences with what we read in the scriptures, with what we feel God might be speaking to us, I doubt. That, that's what, when we say the word doubt, that's what we think of, right? Is these intellectual questions, these intellectual doubts. And the church, historically, has been very much against doubting. Uh, those who, who doubt are considered heretics. They're considered those who are trying to break the status quo. I, I had a conversation with someone that's pretty close to me, um, actually this week, and they said that they had left their denomination, that they had left their church, because when they started asking hard questions, which is doubting, right? Doubting what has been told to you by the church. When they started asking hard questions, the church didn't try to answer them they didn't even give space to ask those questions. They sort of just hushed him up, hushed this person up and said, don't, don't ask those hard questions. Uh, and as we talked about earlier in this podcast, I think at the beginning with Christian catchphrases, that's what we as Christians uh, have a tendency of doing a lot of times when we experience a doubt or a question that we don't like. We just try to shut it up. But here's what I want to talk about today, doubt. Uh, the Bible was not written in English. It wasn't. Jesus did not speak English. Uh, when you see the word doubt in your Bible, what has happened is a translator. Someone is translating it from the ancient Greek into English. And so this is what the actual word is. The word here is edistasas, edistasas. Not sure if I'm um, putting the accent on the right word and my Greek teacher in seminary would be ashamed of me. <laughs> but the word for doubt here is edistasas. And now that's, it's a form of the word. The root word for that is distas, distazo. So the word distazo, which is translated into doubt in the New Testament, the word distazo, it's made up of two words. The prefix dis, which means two, and then the word stazo, which means stance. So this word distazo, literally translated, it doesn't mean doubt. It means two stances. 
And so what we can sort of imagine that meaning is sort of trying to be in two places at once. Like the stories I shared at the beginning of the podcast, uh, it's almost like my puppy dog, Bo, you know, loving me and loving Megan and being torn between the two. So this two stances, this word, uh, distazzo, it means this inability to move forward because you have two options presented to you and you're not sure which one to take. And when we look at the passage here, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, Peter, he, he's afraid. He looks at the wind. He looks at the waves and that makes him afraid. And then he sees Jesus and that makes him want to keep walking. And so the reason that Peter sank is not because he intellectually doubted Jesus, right? It's, I mean, if I put myself in Peter's shoes, that first step that I take on the water, you bet I'm going to doubt if I sink or not. I would be terrified of whether I'm going to sink or not. That intellectual doubt is not what this passage is talking about, which is why, and I'm gonna talk about this towards the end of the podcast, I don't think this word should be translated as doubt. I don't think this word should be put as doubt in the English language, I think it's a bad translation. Peter intellectually doubting whether he was gonna walk on the water or not, it's not why he sank. He sank because he stopped moving towards Jesus. When he looked at the wind and he looked at the waves, it caused him to have this conflict of two stances. Do I look at the wind and waves? Distazzo. Do I stand here with the wind and waves or do I keep moving towards Jesus? It wasn't the doubt, the, the intellectual doubt that caused him to sink. It was the, the conflict between these two stances uh, that caused him to sink. You know, he was wavering between the two options. He was wavering between Jesus and the fear. I, you know, it's, it's hard to look back on the Bible and imagine, but I would imagine that if Peter, he could have been afraid of the wind and the waves, you know, he could have realized what was happening, but if he kept moving towards Jesus, I'm sure that he wouldn't have started to sink. So you might say, JD, well, that's one verse in the Bible where it says doubt. What about the other times in the New Testament where it says doubt. You can't just write off this word doubt um, as meaning something different. Well, if we look at, let's look at um, Matthew Matthew uh, 21, verse chapter 21, verses 21. It says this. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to the fig tree, and this, th this is a verse after Jesus cursed the fig tree, not only can you do what is done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. So the Greek word here that's translated for doubt, where Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt. First off, we see what Jesus is doing. He's saying the opposite of faith is doubt. But what are the Greek words that Jesus is using here? Because remember, like we said, everything's translated. The Greek word here used for doubt is the word diakrino. Now the word diakrino, uh, it's again, almost all Greek words are made up of a prefix and then a word or a word and a suffix. The prefix here is, is dia, which means through. It's like a preposition. You're going through something like through an intersection. And then the word krino, it means to separate. And so what Jesus is saying here, so quite literally translated, it says if you have faith and you're not separated, you know, you're not wholly separated, then you can do not only what's done to this fig tree, but you can go throw yourself in the, you know, you can tell this mountain to go throw itself into the sea and it will. 
Whereas faith is looking at Jesus and following him. The opposite of faith is being separated from Jesus, is ceasing to walk towards Jesus and looking at the world around you and pausing. Uh, whereas faith is, you know, it, it is saying to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea. Uh, the opposite of faith is separating, being separated from Jesus. And so it, it shouldn't be doubt. Um, it should, we shouldn't call it, we shouldn't call it doubt. It's something different because I, what I know to be true in my lived experiences uh, and the, the many conversations I've had with other people is you can doubt, you can intellectually doubt something and still be wholly and fully devoted to it. You see, that's, that's where, uh, part, that, that's where I really experienced my breakthrough with Jesus and surrendering my life to him. You know, my, my, my testimony is this, that, you know, I was doubting so much uh, in college. Intell and I'm saying intellectually doubting, like, is this real? Is God real? Is the, is, is the Bible something to be trusted? And that didn't ever really go away. God didn't give me the answers to my doubts. What he said is, just come and follow me. You see the doubt, what's translated as doubt, the words that Jesus is use, uses in the Greek, he's not saying don't doubt him intellectually. It's okay to do that, but keep walking towards him as you do that. You know, keep coming to church, keep praying, keep wrestling with God on your hands and knees saying, God, this doesn't make sense. Uh, for myself personally, I have those conversations with God all the time where I'm frustrated. Like, God, this makes no sense. And it frustrates me. And I'm not sure if this is true. But I am still surrendering myself to you. I'm still walking out like Peter. I'm trying to walk out on that water towards you. Even if I may be intellectually doubting what's going on, I will not doubt with my actions. I will not let myself be separated from you. Because see, you can still have a deep, mature, and seasoned faith and still have intellectual doubts. Uh, my grandpa, my grandfather, who's a spiritual warrior uh, for Jesus, and I look up to him very, very much, he wrote a book called Hunger, uh, where he talks about many different spiritual disciplines. And there's a chapter in this book uh, that was really impactful for me and my walk with God, where he talks about the different levels of spiritual maturity uh, that almost all of us go through. So, you know, with, with typologies like this, it's not the same for everyone, uh, but it's really helpful because most people do go along this path. So there's four stages of spiritual maturity, and I'm going to share those with you right now. The first stage that pe people find themselves in uh, is they have a conception of God, a conception of religion, um, and they believe about stuff that there's something out there. They're just not fully invested in it. So a stage one Christian, for example, would be the kind of person that comes to church every Christmas and Easter, but they just don't think about God that much. They're just really wrapped up in their day-to-day -day lives. A stage two, once you move from stage one to stage two, a stage two uh, believer is someone who his his understood more about what's going on 
um, and they are full of zeal and passion. So that's the difference between stage two and one is the stage two person uh, is fully devoted uh, to a religion, to Christianity. They're fully devoted. They're fully bought in. They see it as the absolute truth, the end all be all. And these people, people in stage two are really, really good evangelists. So they're great at reaching out to people because they're so full of zeal and passion and they can be very quite knowledgeable uh, because they've done so much studying uh, on what they consider to be authoritative. But then what happens as you experience tragedy, as you experience trauma, as you are exposed to viewpoints different than your own, as you're exposed to religions different than your own, what people do is they move from stage two of spiritual maturity to stage three. So stage three of spiritual maturity is the questioning stage or on topic for today, the doubting stage. And so this is where because you've experienced more of life, you, you've experienced tragedy, you've experienced other people's perspectives, you can sort of think outside of the box and you start to realize some of the cracks in the armor of what you used to believe in stage two. And so that passion and that zeal uh, for what you knew to be truth is found out to sort of be a lie or it's not as solid as you thought it was. And so this is where this stage, stage three, is where a lot, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of Christians uh, fall away from God. You know, stage one and stage three, I think, are the dangerous stages because stage one is where you're lukewarm and stage three is where it's so easy to give up hope and to just give up altogether. And this is what happens a lot of times uh, when kids go off to college is you get this, you know, this culture shock. You get this perspective switch where you're exposed to these different perspectives of different people and religions and instead of diving into it, you just fall away. And then there's stage four. Stage four, the last step of uh, spiritual maturity, isn't getting rid of those questions because once you're exposed to that perspective shift, you can never go back. But what stage four is about is gaining an even broader perspective that even though you may have questions and you don't have it figured out, you are still able to move forward. And so uh, an imagery for this that I like to use is the, these questions that you're holding are objects, but you're able to put those objects in your backpack. And, and, and instead of standing there staring at them frustrated, you're able to put them in your backpack and you move forward. So you still carry those questions with you, but you have this sense of peace, uh, this sense of shalom, that even though you don't know everything, it's okay. You know, it's this sense of humility that, God, I don't understand this, but I will still trust you. A, a perfect, perfect example of someone who is in stage four of spiritual maturity is Job from the Bible. You know, Job, where life happens to him. He loses his family. He loses his riches. And yet Job, he has his questions for God. That's what a lot of Job is, is, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't deserve it. Job doubts God a lot. He asks a lot of these questions um, and his friends think that he's out of line. But Job asks all these questions and yet still he says, I still know that you are good. I still trust you. Even though I'm frustrated with you, I still trust you. 
and Job is still submitted to God. He doesn't curse God like his wife wants him to. He still submits himself to God. And so that's what I want us to take away from the podcast uh, today. Intellectual doubts are okay. It is okay to not have your faith completely figured out. Uh, And if it helps you know it, I'm a pastor and I do not have it all figured out and I never will. I still doubt things all the time. But there's a difference between the stazzo, where you are pausing, where you're stopped because of your doubts, where you're immobile, caught between two options, versus intellectually doubting something and still chasing God. Intellectually doubting something and still moving forward, still looking at Jesus, walking on that water, you know, worried that you're going to sink, worried about the wind and waves, but you just keep walking forward. Uh, If you relate at all to what I've been talking about today, there's a book that I'd like to recommend. Um, It's called Benefit of the Doubt. Uh, Benefit of the Doubt, and it's written by Gregory Boyd. Uh, It's a book that quite literally I think has been the most impactful book in my life because as I was, you know, really struggling with doubts and about to fall away from the faith and just give up, that book helped, it talked a lot about what I'm talking about today that intellectually questioning God is okay. God gives us permission to do that. And there's a difference between intellectually questioning God and giving up on God. There's a big, big difference. So that's the hope that I want to leave all of you with today. That it's okay if you question God. If we go back to our passage, what do the disciples do when they first see Jesus? They say, he's a ghost. You know, they they get it wrong. They think Jesus is a ghost. They don't trust that it's Jesus walking towards them. They question God. It is okay to question God, to wrestle with God, like Jacob, to be frustrated with God. That's okay. But God wants you to make a decision to follow him. He doesn't want to be separated from you. He doesn't want you to have two different stances. It's okay to question him. Just make sure that you are still chasing after him. And the last bit of hope that I want to leave us with is even for those of us who have intellectual doubts and say we do give up. Say sometimes we are so crippled by doubt that we can't, we feel like we can't even follow God anymore. That we know that we should, even though we have doubt, but we feel like we can't. Well, what does Jesus do to Peter? Peter says, Lord, save me. And then we read that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And then Jesus said, yeah, you have little faith and you have distadso. But Jesus still, even though Peter, his doubt caused him to stop chasing after Jesus, Jesus still came to him and reached out his hand and pulled him out of the water. May Jesus do that for all of us this week, that when our doubts feel like they're becoming too much, that we may take hope that Jesus, he is still there to pull us out of the water.